Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bean. Bean? I I wanted to try and bring that back as a salutation. Hello, old Bean. Oh, old Bean. Okay, I just heard you say hello, Bean. bean. No, no, no. Nobody would just call somebody Bean. But old Bean used to be a very uh, acceptable way of addressing another human being. In, in that quite posh circles, I think. Sounds like a posh person. Oh, right, right. Hello, old Bean. Well, you know me, I'm a social climber. (laughs) Um, Do you remember last week I was saying I was desperate for a beard trim? Oh, yes, I do. So I went for a beard trim this week. Uh, There's like a a Turkish barber's not far from me. The guy there is is great. He's a little bit older, quite gruff, um, but, you know, in and out very quickly, always does a good job. So... I went in there on um, Friday afternoon and there was another guy ahead of me about to get a haircut, which meant I ended up waiting sort of 25 minutes, half an hour. Now, the reason I mention this is this other guy, I don't think he thought he was a drifter, but judging by his attempts at small talk with the barber, I mean, he is cut out for this podcast, but doesn't realise it because he kept trying and trying and trying. So just to give you a sense of him, probably a bit older than I am, early 50s. um, And he had the air of maybe, maybe a little bit posh and the type of dad you see a lot of around my neighbourhood who is um, probably really into cycling and outdoor pursuits. Maybe he's run a marathon or a triathlon or something like that at some stage and maybe does some kind of corporate work in the city of London. Are you getting a type? Yeah, absolutely. But, But not that really sort of alpha banker type, maybe somebody who's working in the legal department as well and is a bit um, into going to art galleries and that kind of thing. Have I ever painted a picture? Very clearly, yes. Like, they've... I was trying to think. Okay, if, if to see if I've painted the picture correctly, tell me what an example of the type of name their child would have is. Um, maybe Edward or 
Jude? No, not Jude. I don't know. I'm not very good at this. What about um I'm surprised. Rafferty? I thought I was... I thought I was sort of, I yeah, know. I mean, I thought I was pitching you a home I don't like to judge here. people by their names. Um, <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> no, but do you not find you often can? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. yeah. G- give, g- but, tell I mean, me what you, you're thinking. I think, I think you're right. Something sort of classic, but a bit posh from the early 20th century. Is, is that what you're going okay. with? Right. Is that what you're yes. going with, I'm asking you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I think you're right. I don't know the child's name, but I was just seeing. You know, okay. I thought, oh, I'll get. I thought I'll I'll throw this out to Annabelle. She'll she'll chuck something back that'll be funny just to make the story a bit better, and then we can press on with it. Well, the thing that kept Didn't distracting quite... me was I kept wanting to say Tarragon, and Tarragon's not a name. I kept, my head brain's going Tarragon, Tarragon. Don't say Tarragon. Actually, maybe Tarragon. I think you should have gone with your first instinct. I think that would have done the really? job for us. Yeah. But it's not a name. I should have just said Tarragon. You're right. Never yeah. mind. Um, <laughs> I wish you'd said that. That would have been great. It would have avoided the sort of awkwardness of me putting you in a difficult position yeah. and then the subsequent sort of fumbling around trying it. to restart the story. <laughs> Let, let's try it again. So a guy like okay. that, what, what do you think he's calling his child, for example? Tarragon? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's exactly the sort of person we're talking about here. Anyway, I, I, as I was sitting there on the sofa waiting um, w- waiting for my beard trim, I wrote down three of his attempts at small talk. Ready? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'm Number sorry. one. Number one. How, uh, how, how often do you get your scissors sharpened? Is, is it about once a month? Oh, no. I don't... <laughs> Number two, he was telling some story that was really meandering and the barber was very uninterested in, from what I could see, about having gone to Spain at some point. And then he told the barber Mm. that the the milk was delivered by donkey, but he wasn't sure if the barber understood what donkey meant. So he went, uh, yeah, the the milk was actually delivered by a, a donkey. You know, donkey. Donkey, ee-oh, ee-oh. Oh, no, no. And then after a long <laughs> pause, oh. he um, he said to the barber, I uh, I really like the colour of that shirt. Uh, in, in English, we call that bottle green. <laughs> oh, no. and the, There's the, something the very sweet did, about it. I know it was so. He was trying so hard to get the conversation off the mm. ground and couldn't. But when he said that thing about the the shirt and it being bottle green, the driver, uh, the the barber just went, um, "I like black." <laughs> good answer. <laughs> and that was his entire response. Oh, it was good. It was good. Um, so that was uh, that was my experience at the barber. Um, I tell you about something else. Something weird that happened to me this week. Go on. I went on the London Underground, face mask on, and the carriage was, you know, fairly sparsely attended because people were spaced out because of social distancing. So I stride down the carriage right down to the other end, other end, to try and find a seat that isn't too close to anybody else, and you know, end up not being able to do so, so end up just standing at the end of the carriage. But as I say, I sort of stride down quite pers- uh, purposefully. Um, 
once I get there and the train starts moving, I start looking at my phone. Then I, I become aware of somebody sort of barreling towards me and then looming over me. And this guy who is just, you know, if you saw him, you would just think he was a young person, probably quite a cool young person. Mm. Um, and he sort of looks like he works out or whatever. And he looms over him. He goes, mate, mate, bruv. You kicked me. You kicked me. Oh, no. You kicked my shoe. And honestly, I didn't kick him. I don't know what he thought was going on, but I'm not a kicker. I'm not one of life's... You know, I don't go around kicking strangers. No, absolutely not. If I, if I, and I also, it's difficult to empathise with people who do, but I think if you were going to kick somebody and um, you know get something going, start a fight, I'm not sure that a moving train carriage would be the place to do it. All I'd done was mm, walk yeah. past and maybe I brushed his foot on the way past so but i'm terrified at this point so i go oh, i'm really sorry i didn't even realize i did but i'm really sorry about that and then he's glaring at me so i then find myself saying is there anything else i can help you with <laughs> like you're working the call center <laughs> like, know, you finish what know, you want anything else i can hurt you with yeah and then he just shakes his head and tuts at me. He goes and sits back down, but then takes some kind of like tissue or hanky or something out and starts oh, no. cleaning his trainer in a oh, really passive aggressive way. Please. Yeah. Like, like I scuffed his trainer thing. in some way. Is there anything else I can help you with, sir? I'm going to say that all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Annabelle, how's it looking on Stories from Drifters this week? Well, it's still got our steady trickle. So I'll start with the first one from Nina. She says, on the subject of things people would never know about you unless you went on a podcast and told them all, following on from Jess' revelation about entering competitions to go on the Orient Express. Mine is that once a week, I like to sit on the loo and have a wee while simultaneously drinking a large glass of water and pretending that it is going straight through me. <laughs> what a lovely little secret. I love it. Oh, that's one of the greatest things I've heard in my life. Isn't Wonderful. it? Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. This is from Caroline on the subject of falsely accusing people of stealing things. I had moved out of my flat for some building work and was renting a studio flat in a large converted house. It was on the ground floor with direct access to a patio, perfect for an approximately 12-week stay with my cat Iggy. On the day I moved in, I took Iggy over early and left him alone in the flat to get used to his temporary home while I sorted out getting all my stuff moved into storage, giving the builders keys, etc. When I returned to the flat a few hours later, Iggy was nowhere to be seen. The flat was basically one room with a kitchen on one wall, a sofa bed on the other and a tiny shower room squeezed into the corner. There was nowhere for the cat to be hiding. I'd left the windows and door shut. As everyone knows, you don't let a cat out as soon as you move somewhere new. I couldn't understand where he could be and became convinced that he must have run past me out of the door into the communal area of the house. So I ran around four floors of the converted house calling for him but couldn't find him. 
I was pretty upset, sure that he had somehow got out and run away and convinced I would never see him again as both flats were really near main roads. and I didn't rate his chances of being one of those cats who safely managed to travel miles in search of home. I didn't know what to do, but a small part of me hoped he was in the house somewhere and would reappear. A few hours later, while watching TV, I heard a mewing sound. It was Iggy. Where was he? He sounded like it was coming from the flat next door. He must have run past me and into the other flat, been found by a kindly neighbour who has now given him a fuss and wondering where this amazing cat had come from. The joy he was returned. I got up and knocked on the door of the flat next door. A man answered. Hello, I said. I think you have my cat. Cat, he replied. Yes, I can hear him. He's mine. Thank you for finding him. There's no cat, said the man. But I can hear him. He is in there. No, sorry. (laughs) But no cat. And with that, the man closed his door. I was left standing open mouthed at the door. The man had stolen my cat. How was I going to free Iggy from this evil man's clutches? I returned to my temporary home, wondering how I was going to spend the next 12 weeks living next door to someone who had stolen my cat and was now lying to me about it. The faint sound of mewing was still audible through the wall. Iggy knew I was looking for him. How could the man lie so brazenly? And how could I rescue little Iggy? Fast forward a couple of hours and I was in the bathroom when I heard a scratching sound above my head. I looked up and by the extractor fan were some whiskers and a familiar little face. The cat had got into the small gap behind the back of the fridge and into a false wall and couldn't find his way back out. By moving the fridge totally out and calling him, he finally appeared covered in dust and gunk. (laughs) For the next 12 weeks, I couldn't leave the flat for at least 15 minutes if I heard the door next the the door next door go in case I had to stand at the bus stop just outside with the man I'd accused of stealing my cat. Iggy continued to nest in the false wall space. Oh, that's so And this is from, isn't it? I know. Anything about accusing people, falsely accusing people is always good, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And from Julie, lastly. Some 15 or so years ago, whilst on a girls' weekend away, at the airport, someone in our group spotted Mel Melanie C, a.k.a. Sporty Spice. There was excitement as two of my friends announced they would ask her for a selfie, or as they were known then, a photo with her. It was obvious she was busy and in a rush, and I tried my utmost to dissuade them from going over to her, as I found it just too embarrassing for all concerned. Ignoring me, everyone except me pestered her, and she happily obliged. I didn't regret my decision not to ask for a photo, but I did get a bit of flack for being the only one who wasn't in the photo. Fast forward to last weekend, when two of my friends who were in the photo and I went to a restaurant where Melanie C was doing a residency. On the way, we joked that she probably remembered us from the airport, although she wouldn't remember me as I'd not been in the photo. Before we had the meal, I went to the ladies. I should at this point let you know that my arm was, and is, in plaster with a broken wrist. As I was struggling to dispense soap, etc., I look in the mirror and see Melanie C go into the toilet cubicle. There was only one thing to do. Wait, ask her for a selfie, and then, oh, how my friends would laugh and high-five me that I too have a photo of Melanie C, putting pay to the 15 years of ribbing I'd got from the girls. I'm checking my makeup, (laughs) nonchalantly, as she washes her hands, and I politely ask, Excuse me, but would it be rude of me to ask you for a selfie, please? She pauses, thinks and then says, no, it's not rude, but we're in a toilet. 
I had expected a yes or even a no, I'm sorry, I don't have time. But not, it's not rude, but we're in a toilet. I could not think of a single response and instead just pointed towards my cast like it was personally responsible for making me ask for a photo whilst in a toilet. She then said, how are you managing with that? To which I replied, not very well. And fled to the toilet. <laughs> oh, the shame. <laughs> oh, do you know what that has done? Is made me a little, it's given me a little bit more empathy for people who ask celebrities for selfies in toilets because you always hear them talking about it on chat shows and things about how weird it is. But I suppose there's a real sort of carpe diem element to it. <laughs> oh that's good the pointing um please send us your stories of social ineptitude it'd be great to have a, any more of those your secret inner life that nobody knows about as well um email us hello mm-hmm. at adriftpodcast.com <laughs> annabelle yes let's have another way in which you are not a fully functioning adult okay And it is all the things that might seem odd to someone who came to my house for the first time. So firstly, that it's a fairly small ground floor fat, but it boasts three bird feeders, which (laughs) I must admit is quite extreme. Like to be clear, they're all outside. And to be even clearer, I've never, ever seen a bird eat out of any of them for some reason. And none of them are anything to do with me that all my boyfriends work, but there are two out the front and one out the back. And the front ones, there's only like five metres between them. But I do think three probably is probably maybe even three too many, but definitely two too many. I've noticed it and not said anything. Oh, thank you. You're so polite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not a lot of the time. But I thought "Mm, this is a little bit odd. I wonder if Tom's having some kind of breakdown. And if he didn't do this, well, I think you correctly assumed that he was involved. Like feeding pigeons. (laughs) He'd be a male bird lady. He would. Yeah, he was probably would actually. Yeah. Uh, Next one. The sticky sellotape residue marks all over the front door where I've been sticking up notes for the last five years. Not five years, nine (laughs) years I've been here. I feel like I stick up notes so much more than other people. And I don't even know why. Like, I don't ever see them on other people's doors. Like They're most often instructing people not to knock because I don't want them to wake my son up. But they used to always be about leaving a package on the doorstep if I was out because I'd rather risk a parcel being stolen than having to collect it from a neighbour. Are you, oh, are you yeah, the same? Yeah, yeah. yeah, much rather that. Very so yeah, I feel so. like I've always got notes on my door. Okay, next one. The panic alarm installed in the bedroom. Now, it's not connected. It's never been connected since I've been here. And it was here when I moved in. But I do think it stands out. So I think it's the sort of thing that is more common in mansions with panic rooms, not in smallish flats in <laughs> suburban cul-de-sacs. There's the bathroom extractor fan that I broke eight years ago and never got around to fixing. Still broken. Oh, how about how until two weeks ago, I had 10 champagne flutes and one wine glass. (laughs) Now, though, I've got four wine glasses because recently I went out and bought three more. And I would have got more than three because they weren't expensive. But there's not enough room in the cupboard because of all the champagne flutes. (laughs) Even though there is enough room in the cupboards for the six tins of paint left behind by the previous owner that have now undoubtedly dried up. (laughs) 
Until recently, I also had three cheese, cheese graters, but I did give one away. So now I've just got two. <laughs> uh, my son's bedroom. I love is that per- you kept a backup. <laughs> You've got to have a backup. Got to have a backup grater. My son's bedroom is permanently pitch black as we gaffer tape blackout blinds to the window so he'd go to sleep when it's light in the evening. But I know that you've done that too, haven't you? So I don't think, maybe yeah, it's not yeah. that weird, that one. But maybe we, lots of people do we that. We redo it every day. So we've ripped a load of paint off the window frame oh. and we get, we get through two rolls of gaffer tape a week. Oh, what? Oh, oh I just leave it up. And so he has to, like, if yeah. he wants to go in his bedroom, he has to put the light on during the day. Oh wow! I hadn't I thought did, of to doing be fair, that. I think it would be like that. I think it would be like that if it was left up to me. But Sarah is sort of less of a right. slob. In fact, she's not a slob. Right? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Um, and then lastly, it's the copy of old Bedfordian Club magazine that's often lying around. <laughs> so this is something that arrives. I don't know about four times a year, and it's addressed to a previous resident who I know has since died. And it comes in a plastic film and I always rip it open and read it. Even though what can possibly interest me about this nearly 500 year old pub boys public school. But I just really like seeing what the alumni have been up to. Because it's, a, it's basically just the news of the old Bedfordians that I just love. Like recently two of them invented a low calorie alcoholic drink with just three ingredients. And there's been a lot of new books published and there's so many marriages. And one of them turned 80 recently and got gifted a flight in a Spitfire. I just find it fascinating. The only thing that I don't like is it makes me feel a bit sad that someone so well educated ever ended up in my flat. But you know, I shouldn't put myself down because it's got three bird feeders. Three, three of them. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. We're having horrible technical problems. Um, I'm in my house. Annabelle's at home. And firstly, the the computer we record on appears to be uh, having one of its episodes. And then secondly, the connection is so bad. It's like when they go around getting the scores on the Eurovision Song Contest. There's this huge long delay. I can't tell whether, whether Annabelle is hearing anything I'm saying and then you know, all of a sudden we're speaking over each other in my headphones. I don't know if any of that will be on the finished podcast, but um, I I think let's cut this a bit short this week, if that's okay. Yes, I'm sorry. I I feel a bit paranoid that it's my internet connection, but... um... Yes. Maybe it is, it could be mine, I, I don't know. But we'll, we'll sort of barrel through the rest of the podcast um, and then next week we'll do some more of those uh, laughing on the outside, dying on the insides and we'll talk about the possibility of doing some kind of virtual online live show for the Patreon subscribers because that, that could be fun. But right. um, 
I think we're going to have to do all that next week. I did want to address okay. an email that I saw from okay. Haley, who says, I heard Jeff hilariously refer to Annabelle's dog as the teddy bear king. He's firm but fair last week. And I don't recall this being mentioned before. I've been a listener for a couple of years. Please, can you explain it? I can't stop wondering about it. Okay, so Rusty, my dog, when I first got him, his name was Rusty Scruff, and he very quickly got extended to Rusty Scruff the Teddy Bear King because I guess he looks like a teddy bear and but a really big one. So I thought he was the king of the teddy bears. And then I didn't want him to be like a bad king. So then I added to it, he's firm but fair because like, you know, that's what you want a king to be really, don't firm but fair. So he became Rusty Scruff the Teddy Bear King, he's firm but fair. Imagine if you hadn't have had a child, what his name would be by oh now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it might have just gone on and on and on. Now, it's just he's just rust. <laughs> <laughs> just get, it just gets shorter and shorter. When Annabelle got rusty, you, you did like a little shared photo album, which I asked to be added to, where you would always be putting pictures of your dog. I don't think it's been updated since you were pregnant. No, look, you're, you always say this, and it's so unfair. It's Tom did it, not me, because I'm not. I don't take photos. And then he then he went from an iPhone to an Android, and therefore couldn't use the iCloud. remember come on you know it's not that we neglect him but if you but if 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 you were to look at tom's phone Mm. would the amount of photographs he takes of rusty be comparable to what he took before rudy was born i'd say it was mm, 98 percent rudy (laughs) two percent rusty right 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 um Mm. I'll tell you what, something I wanted to talk about was just like one of the things nobody is mentioning in the, you know, in the recovery plan, because so many industries mm. have been affected. And like, for example, Sarah's job doing comedy, they, they've not been able to perform live indoors. And that's just sort of starting up a little bit now. But the audience can't be too close together. And they've been told not to laugh too loud because COVID is transmitted oh, through, um, you know, through, yeah, through breath. So if you laugh too loud, that the, the sort of aerosol effect of that um, is increased. So all this stuff. But something I've not heard a single soul mention is when will karaoke be allowed to come back? <gasps> Why isn't that the thing that everyone is asking? The, the people are more interested in like, things like eyebrow threading when really the big question, you're quite right, is when we're allowed to do karaoke again. I think it's going to be one of the last things because think it's people in a small room singing and singing like laughing is one of those things which can spread it further. And, and often when I sing, there um, is also laughing. So yeah, yeah, and not <laughs> so kindly. You're a double threat. <laughs> it's a double threat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, I I don't know. As as I've said many times, it is the only social environment in which I feel comfortable. Oh. And it's been taken taken away from me. And I would happily go to a karaoke where they gave you some kind of test and kept you in an ante room until the results came back when you check in. <laughs> or you can only go with people in your social bubble. There are, you know, there are um, solutions that I'm willing to offer up to save the industry. So I'm, I'm worried about it. Yeah. I have been working on it. Um, the good thing about there being no karaoke is even though it is the social environment in which I am sort of singularly comfortable, it does simultaneously offer the single most uncomfortable moment of life. 
Oh, which is? Which is when somebody presses the button to order some drinks and then a waiter or a waitress come in when you're singing. <laughs> yeah. Like there is no moment in life more uncomfortable than that. Yeah, you're quite right. That is horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you another thing I've, I've, I've thought about that I've not heard anybody else mention is, you know, like they're talking about the death of the high street because people have got used to buying things online now. Yeah. So this could also mean the death of those types of men, not the literal death, but I mean in seeing them, of those types of men who are so masculine that they cannot enter a woman's clothes shop, so they have to stand outside holding bags while their wives go in. Oh, that's that. if that goes, that'll be the saddest thing to go. Because it's already been on the decline, I think, as people get more metrosexual. Um, mm. But you still see a few people holding out with it that they couldn't possibly do anything as <laughs> feminine as go into a women's woman's clothes shop. Oh, I miss that. Let's see. Yeah, I'm thinking about COVID in this this way that maybe I mean maybe Cummings <laughs> needs to bring me in. <laughs> yeah. All right, quandary corner at the Glap Clinic here in Problematic Annabelle. Yes. Okay. Here is the first one and it's from Oh, this is good. This is from Nina. How many times do you ask someone to repeat themselves when you can't understand what they're saying? And what do you do when it is apparent you are not going to understand? Generally, I start yeah. panicking after two repetitions, cold sweat, absolute mm. self-loathing and inadequacy and not being able to decipher another human's communication because of accent, diction, mask, whatever. I have tried the non-committal gesture route, vague smile that could be tears, tamed laugh if it seems it could be funny, concerned, but not overly concerned if it seems it could be alarming, but might not be. Maybe just a yeah, I see or oh dear, which can be a funny oh dear or a heartfelt oh dear. That route is quite problematic and could carry a lifetime of recriminations for a drifter who is desperate to appear like a good person. It also disregards the fact that they are trying to tell you something and must be infuriated themselves. I've also tried the, I'm so sorry, but I can't understand what you're saying, which generally serves to renew the now futile efforts of the communicator and prolongs the phonetic hell. Sometimes it works in the end through writing, mime, sheer hard graft. We make a connection and I understand. But by then I am so mortified and wrapped up in my own failure that I fail again to be any use to them and actually respond in a reasonable way to their communication. Things have just gone too far. I really need some clear guidance that works for both parties involved at the least traumatic level. Well, here's the thing. Um like everything you've described in the aftermath of it is is you know there are some good ideas in there that even I hadn't thought of so i think you know there's no solution as to actually gleaning what they're saying but if the the question is how many times you can ask twice normally and a th with a third i'm so sorry i think i must have wax in my ears or, or whatever it is i feel so embarrassed i can't fault. tell what you're saying yeah 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 it's always your fault it's never their fault uh, the amount of the, times the, the i've lied and question... said i'm sorry that the amount of times that i've lied and said i'm hard of hearing it's just terrible oh yeah me sorry too. my me hearing too. my hearing is terrible 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's, and then I always worry that they're going to start signing. <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad. Yeah, um, but the answer is sort of two normalish ones, and then a third, extremely apologetic, blaming it on yourself, just in the numbers. Yeah. Beyond that, if anybody has any good ideas as to how to handle the aftermath of it, then please share them with us. But if you just want a, a, that that question about numbers answered, there you go. That's done. Mm-hmm. Next. Nathaniel, near the start of lockdown, I was tasked with a daring a visit to one of those discount shops with pound in the title in order to buy a large storage box. So with my face mask and gloves donned, I joined the long queue for entry. As I approached the entrance, I could see that the boxes I wanted were outside the store on the other side of the entrance. My panic on how I could possibly deal with them, getting them subsided, when I saw a man upon reaching the front of the queue, say something to the staff member guiding people in and then walked past her to the boxes, select one and walk in. Fine, I think. I am capable of that interaction. I get to second place in the queue and I'm ready for it, fully prepared with exactly what to say. The gestures I'll use, etc, etc. When tragedy strikes. As the door guardian ushers the next person in, the person that came out goes and strikes up a conversation with said door guardian. So my question is, how can I possibly get her attention to let her know that I needed to pop past? To make matters worse, now two people were blocking my part of the boxes, so there was no way to keep the requisite two metres apart. Obviously, what I actually did was just vaguely attempt to make eye contact without going to the effort of making any gestures or emitting any sounds (laughs) before walking into the shop and buying the much too small storage boxes kept inside, which were as good as useless to me. Seeing as long keys for shops are likely to be a mainstay for a while now, I thought general rules for getting the attention of a door guardian could be of use. Mm. What's uh, what's, what's your, your steer on this one? Oh, it's just, it's just a whole new world of difficult things. And I like the expression door guardian, though. <laughs> I'm kind of, it's yeah, really nice. Yeah, I like that too. Door guardian. Um, yeah. How do you get their attention? I mean, it's near impossible to do it without looking terrible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could clap, I mean, no. I don't know how... Yeah. I think your eyebrows have to do a lot of work when you're wearing a mask. Oh, yeah, because... Oh. You see, which is fine for you because you've got quite nice eyebrows, but mine are barely noticeable. Maybe I should start penciling them on. Maybe this is advice for drifters. If you're thin of brow, then maybe mm. invest in a, a, a an eye pencil of some sort. Then you can do a lot of brow raising to try and get attention. Yeah. But I think arm, maybe some kind of arm waving gesture that doesn't look aggressive, but I don't know what. Because mm. you can't like tap, you can't tap anyone on the shoulder, that's touching. You can't shout. Mm. You need to do some some kind no. of arm gesture. And then if they look around irritated, pretend that you're waving to someone or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sticking with the eyebrow plan. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go with that then. I bet Eugene Levy's having a great time of it. With <laughs> He's very expressive of eyebrow. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. This is a, this is a, this is a good question. Have I told you? Just going off a slight tangent. Um, that people are generally nicer to me. I feel when I've got a face mask on. Really? Yeah. So I think whatever it is that rubs people up the wrong way about my face, it's not in the top third. <laughs> I've narrowed it down to the bottom two thirds. Rubs people up the wrong way. I don't. 
yeah. I don't think there's anything about your appearance that could rub someone up the wrong way. Uh, I don't know. I don't. You, you don't have to live with really? it. Really? Yeah, I think people are a lot nicer to me when most of it so is you're going to keep it up then? But it does make me think maybe I've got quite nice yeah, eyes. Yeah, they're loving your eyes. So... Wait till, so wait till you've that. got your eyebrows penciled in and there. Wow. A whole new world for you. <laughs> Listen, I feel that we haven't done a good job of answering mm. that one. So uh, maybe we'll, we'll deflect it to the drifters and see if okay. we get anything back. was our podcast thank you to you for listening if you have a quandary for quandary corner then send it into us hello at adriftpodcast.com uh, same email address for all your other stuff too thanks to man and the echo for the backing music to emily harrison for the incidental music the uh, the the photos were taken by kim rainey sorry the photos were taken by carla gowlett and the artwork fine job uh, that it is was done by um kim rainey and i, I wasn't going to finish this week Exactly with um, with a uh, with with a direct quote from one of our emails, which I usually do. But I was going to sort of exhort our listeners to find some time this week, just just once. I mean, do it more if you want to, but just just once. And um, uh, in honour of Nina, go for a wee and drink a glass of water at the same time, and pretend that it's going straight through you. All right, Podication time, and this comes from Josef Melkvist. There's a familiar mm. name. Uh, hello, he says. So this is my second Podication, and I'd like to give it to my big brother, David Melkvist. Maybe it's David. Um, I'm not sure. I'm guessing it is. In, who I love dearly, Josef says. I just wanted to make clear it was Josef uh, saying that, <laughs> not me. Not that I've got anything against David. I'm sure that over time I would learn to love him or, or maybe just it would grow in me and I'd become infatuated but <laughs> the, the point is I, I don't like I don't like bandying that word around with no meaning yeah, see what I mean of course yeah okay um he says who I love dearly and Yosef continues in October my brain cancer made an unrequested encore and my brother sat by my bedside while I trashed around in a fit caused by the gamma knife treatment I managed to stab one of the nurses with needles intended for me so that was fun he visited me regularly during the multiple brain surgeries I've moved back for the summer uh, to stay at my parents home in a beautiful Swedish town called Ooh, let me have a look at this and see if I can do a good job of pronouncing it. Mule B, I think, maybe. Um, my brother, with the help of close friends and my parents, came together and organised everything while I was bedridden. Since then, my ongoing chemotherapy, um, since then, during my ongoing chemotherapy, he's been there to help me with anything, which is a lot since I'm in a high risk group for COVID 19. More on that later. The love I feel for my brother David is hard to put into words he doesn't ask for anything in return 
He just does it. He truly is his brother's keeper. That is, um, that's uh, firstly, Yosef, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, what a terrible thing to have been going through. And me and Annabelle, I think we can say we send you our love. You see? Yeah. That, that yeah. is sincere, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, with, in terms of David David, just just need a little bit of time with him. But you, you've been with us a long time here, Yosef, and um, that's really rotten to hear that. And I, you know, I hope um, I hope you're on the on the mend. Um, right, uh, Yosef continues. I've listened to you since the days of the Pete and Jeff show. The news of Pete's passing made me really sad and melancholic. Um, I love what both of you said in remembrance of him. It brought back so many many memories of your show. Um, yeah, I mean, so many, so many memories. He says, if any of you dare to come to Sweden and visit this summer, you are more than welcome for wood-fired sourdough pizza in my parents' garden. Mm. I was supposed to be going to Sweden this summer. Uh, last summer, I took my son, just the two of us. We went to Stockholm for a few days, and then we went out to uh, an island in the archipelago called Grinda, and he and I stayed in a cabin, and we loved it so much. You know, as anybody who knows the podcast well will know that I'm such a Swedophile, um, that I'd been planning on going back and doing it every year with him, and my wife was going to try and come this year. And mm. then, unfortunately, because of the travel restrictions, there are only certain countries uh, that it's that you're you're allowed to travel from the UK too and still be following foreign, foreign office advice and Sweden isn't one of them and it's killing me. I mean, I just love it over there so much mm. and was so much looking forward to being there in the summer. Also, I follow loads of Instagram accounts which are just scenes from the Swedish Stockholm archipelago and elsewhere oh, and it's really been rubbing oh. my nose in it. Yeah. I told you a while ago, somebody said to me, stop, follow, mute everybody you know on Instagram and just mm. follow things that you like looking at. And I thought, well, I don't like yeah. looking at much more than I like looking at pictures of Sweden. So, yeah, and, and it brings me great joy, but it's really frustrating. It's been this glorious summer and we can't go there. It's, uh, it's annoying. Um, let's see. He says, I actually mean it. He says, I remember from the last Pete and Jeff show, you agreed on shared custody of Annabelle and uh, that you as any good divorced couple take her to McDonald's on your assigned weekend. Did Jeff ever do that? Well, I never did because I I sort of got... Yeah, I think Pete got the... Pete got the weekends, didn't he? Whereas yeah. I got the weekdays when we did yeah. the Jeff show. Yeah. So I don't know what you and Pete got up to on weekends because I, I, I wanted to respect your boundaries. Yeah, it was more Pizza Express than McDonald's. Yeah. Um, he adds, as a side note, COVID-19 has made Swedish people more sociable. A glance followed by a smile or a small nod is greatly appreciated nowadays. People are starved for social interaction. Um, if you're feeling adventurous, you can even say a few complimentary words about the weather uh, or the other person's dog, and both parties walk away on clouds of happiness. Just the right amount of social interaction with a stranger for an entire day, sorted. Uh, Optimization and effectiveness is a Swedish cultural trait. Google time studies on how housewives interacted in a lab kitchen that was made in Sweden. It's an eye opener to the Swedish psyche. This is, I mean, this is, the the podcast could end up going on for hours if you get me onto this subject. Firstly, I think you Swedes generally are just the right amount of sociable for me. Like people are so lovely, but it's not in your face 
at all. And, you know, you need to scratch the surface a little bit. Um, but secondly, there is a film, albeit Norwegian rather than Swedish, called Kitchen Stories, which I've definitely talked about at some point, um, which is about when the Swedes were studying um, movement of people around the house. I'll start that again. There, there was a time, I think it would be the... 30s maybe or maybe the 50s when the Swedes were building a lot of social housing and to make these social houses optimised for the way in which people moved around and lived in them they sent inspectors and I think this is what Yosef is alluding to here to um, mm. to monitor people in their homes and then make notes of how they use the space so that they could design the perfect kitchen or the perfect bathroom perfect living room and so on yeah Mm-hmm. Um, and this film, Kitchen Stories, was about a Swedish inspector driving to Norway to watch an older... Uh, they, they were specifically studying older single men. And it's a story about, like, sort of a buttoned-up... The, the, the stereotype in S- Scandinavia can be that the Swedes are a bit more kind of buttoned-up and officious, and the other one, well, the Norwegians and Danes are a bit more laid-back. Um and so it was a Swedish inspector who went and sat in an old man's kitchen and monitored the, his movements so that he could collect data. But so as not to interfere with the data, he had to not interact with him at all, right? Otherwise, it mm. wouldn't be um, pure data. And it's the story about this sort of Norwegian man messing with the Swedish inspector's head and, of course, the unlikely friendship that evolved. And it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Um, I'm very interested in all that. I, I will Google that particular study. Um, let's. Uh, sorry, I've gone way off piece here. Yosef continues. The love I've expressed for David goes equally for my mum Marit, my dad Reina, I think that is Reina, and my little sister Hannah. You did a podcast for her a while back uh, when she lived in Stornoway. Yes, of course. Mm. Uh, since then, she's moved to Whitney in Oxfordshire, much, oh. much closer for visiting. Oh, fancy that. Um, she's, she's had a life, hasn't she, Hannah? No. She gets it out. He says, you're doing acceptable work. Keep it up. Stay safe and healthy. And I wish you an excellent summer. With love from Yosef Melkvist. Well, Yosef, as I said before, really sorry to hear you've been having a tough time of it. That's rotten news. Mm. Very touched hearing about David and, and the rest of your family. And um, good to know that the, the, the sort of the Swedish reserve has maybe just melt, thawed just one notch, which no more than that. We don't want you to, <laughs> you know, like to Americans, we seem really buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, like uh, a British person to an American is how a Swedish person can appear to the the Brits, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're the midpoint, and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't venture too far to, towards the midpoint even, because uh, it's it's pretty great in Sweden. Um, Josef, I hope things are getting better. Do do um, keep us updated on how things are going, and it's always great to hear from you and your family. So. There we go. Uh, the latest edition of the podcast, dedicated to David and Marit and Rainer and Hannah. And if you would like a podication, then email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.